Well, good morning. So in our gospel reading this morning, if you picked up when it says they wanted to lay hands on Jesus, this is a different use of laying on hands that we might be used to in the church. Um, They just didn't want to lay hands to bless. They wanted to lay hands to kill. And of course, as we know, this was talking about how God sent many prophets to speak to his people, to share the uncompromising truth of of, of the word of God and that the people um, rejected him. And then ultimately he sent his son and they rejected him as well and they killed him. Um, And that's what the gospel is all about. So today is the fifth Sunday of Lent. This morning I will be focusing on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I've entitled this message, The Priceless Value of Knowing Jesus Christ. And if you're prone to want to follow um, me in the text, um, I'm actually going to be starting in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. And I'll be working up to uh, what we actually read um, in, um, this morning. If Lent is, among other things, a time to reconsider, a time to set aside distractions in order to focus again on our relationship with God and His church, a time to let the Holy Spirit work in us in order to shape us into the image of God as individuals and as the body of Christ, then this passage from the letter to the church in Philippi brings the season to its peak. Paul gives us here a rare snippet of his autobiography. He does so in order to stress the overwhelming joy of belonging to, winning, gaining, and knowing Christ, in contrast to the great privileges that he had as a Jew. Now, in human terms, Paul had every reason to be confident. He was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, had been circumcised on the eighth day as part of the Jewish custom, He belonged to the favored tribe of Benjamin and a real Hebrew if there ever was one. By birth, Paul had every possible privilege. He had good reason to have confidence in the flesh from human heritage to human achievements. He had plenty of reasons to be confident about his religious credentials. He had belonged to the sect of the Pharisees who dedicated themselves to faithful obedience and commitment to the law. Paul had been totally blameless in keeping the law, and his zeal for it was demonstrated in his persecution of these new followers of Jesus Christ. He writes as a Jew, and these were the things that he had treasured, having assumed that they counted in the sight of God. In other words, he was a religious zealot. So he listed here his privileges, the things he valued, because he is concerned that those who still treasure them, who pride themselves in these religious accomplishments, would mislead these new followers of Jesus Christ. So Paul had a concern for what was happening in the early churches. So if Paul stood before 21st century North American churches, what would he say? What would he say about our religious credentials or our impressive resumes? What would he say about how consumerism and narcissism and egotism and materialism has saturated many of our churches? What would Paul think that many of our, of, of our North American churches uh, being more concerned more about attraction and entertainment than shaping our lives around the teachings and the practices of Jesus Christ? 
What would he say about the churches that have watered down the gospel in the attempts of reaching more people? But we have found that that has actually been counterproductive. What would he say about that? What would Paul have to say about the way many of us have defined our worth and our success? What would Paul have to say to our liturgical churches? Would he think that we have kept the form of religious practice well, but fell short of knowing Christ and making disciples who make disciples? Nevertheless, Paul has abandoned all of these privileges for the sake of Christ. He uses the image of a prophet and loss account. On one side of the ledger, all the things that he once treasured has now written off as worthless. And on the other side, what he has gained, which is Jesus Christ, if we can see that in verse 7, he repeats this statement in different ways, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But all the things he counted as privileges, accomplishments, achievements, and religious successes, he now has written them off and he counts them as rubbish. Now, let me make this simple and absolutely clear to the meaning of the actual Greek word that he uses, and I've talked about that here before. Now, if you're going to be offended at what I'm going to say, don't be offended at me. Be offended at St. Paul. He's the one that wrote this, okay? Now, it's a lot more uh, forceful than the actual term rubbish. The actual word here means excrement or dung or poop, if you will, but that's what it means. Now, I'm not going to use any other descriptions, but I'll stop at that. But, but that's right. It might not sound proper, but this is coming straight from St. Paul. He has exchanged it all and considered everything else worthless because of what Christ has done. It is all useless and dumb compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ his Lord so that he could gain Christ and be one with him. Now I find the repetition here very interesting and Paul uses it to make a very clear point. Instead of the righteousness that comes from the law, verse 6, he has righteousness which comes through being in Jesus Christ. And Paul describes this in verse 9 and he says, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So Paul's faith was in something, faith in Jesus Christ, what Christ has done for him. And that is the essence of what the gospel is all about. So now look with me at verse 10. It says, I want to know Christ. Now the word here for know is not talking about an intellectual knowing. We often use this term as know, as like I know somebody, or I know of George Washington, or I know of whatever. But the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek, and it was called the Septuagint, and it was completed in 132 B.C. So the Greek word in Philippians 3, verse 10 that Paul uses here is the same word that was used in Genesis 4, 1 and the Septuagint to describe sexual intimacy. And it says this, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. So the whole point I'm making here is that the word know is an intimate knowing. So when Paul says, I want to know Christ, he is talking about knowing Christ intimately and personally and experientially, even communally. Now, that is not to say that our relationship with God is always filled with profound emotions. So Paul now explains that knowing Christ means experiencing his resurrection power in verse 10. 
experiencing resurrection power, however, depends on being a partner in his suffering and going all the way with Jesus to death itself. So Christ shares our human death and breaks its power over us through the resurrection, enabling us to share his risen life. And of course, Paul talks about that in multiple places, but we can see that in Romans 5 as well as 1 Corinthians 15. So if we are to share that life, however, it is necessary for us to make his death our own and to share his suffering, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6 as well as chapter 8. So listen to what St. Paul says in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. He says in Romans eight seventeen. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. So we see here Jesus' humility taking on the position of a servant and was willing to die. So these are both the pattern and the basis of following Christ's life. This is what some call the cruciform life. And as we talked about many times before, this is how we come to know Jesus Christ. And this is how we live as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple every day of our life. So we are to live a selfless and obedient life formed and fashioned around the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The life of a servant and a child. Living ourselves for the sake of others. And this comes through surrender and humility. It comes through dying. It comes through new life. It comes through formation. So just like our gospel reading this morning, Jesus says of himself, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So as we know from these broken pieces, God can make something absolutely beautiful and he can bring new life. Now I encourage us now to put Holy Week services in our calendars as this is the theme of the entire Holy Week journey that we walk together. Now I know that um, some Uh, for whatever reason, don't come to the Holy Week services. We have lots of guests during that time. They seem interested in coming. I would encourage the church family to come. Uh, These are, this is Holy Week, and that each of the the nights, it it speaks and it helps form us into the image of Jesus Christ for us to walk the way of Jesus. Now, I know it's far for many of to drive, and I know it's at night often. Some of the, most of the services are at nighttime, and if you need a ride, call the church office. We'll do our very best to find someone to help um, come pick you up. Uh, people are available to do that. But I encourage you to, to write it in your calendars. At the heart of the Christ life is a continual death to self in order that Christ might live in us. In other words, we are being asked of, 
from Jesus and the gospel itself on a continual basis, which is the heart of discipleship, the essence of this Lenten season, to relinquish control of our life to Him, to die in order that we might live. So if we want to live a new life, we must first die to self by repenting, which means turning away from and giving up. To put our faith and our trust in Him, which means turning toward and gaining someone. And Christ will resurrect new life. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must never be complacent. Verses 12 and 13 says, I have not yet reached my goal and I am not yet perfect. But Christ has taken hold of me, so I keep on running and struggling to take hold of the prize. My friends, I don't feel that I have already arrived, but I forget what is behind, and I struggle for what is ahead. Sounds like many of us, as we struggle in our walk and our journey, that doesn't mean it's always a downer. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. I'm just saying this is reality, that walking with Jesus Christ and walking together through the passion and the pain of life, it's, a, it's often a struggle. Struggling to take hold of the prize. Paul uses the image of the games, which would have been familiar to his readers. Like a good athlete, his aim is to gain the prize. So Paul says in verse 14, But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and I'm running, and I'm not, I'm not turning back. As individuals and as a church community, are we running and moving onward and forward? Or are we distracted from the past and frustrated by the present? You know, we need safe places to be able to be honest and talk about our struggles and our um, distractions from the past and our frustrations in the present. But we call one another higher. I like that language. It came from actually Carrie Simmons as she's talked in different groups and vestry and small groups. And she's talked to how we're called to, to invite each other to, to, to higher living and following the ways of Jesus Christ. You know, I have, um, when some of you ask me how am I doing, I often have to stop and think, do they want the right Christian answer or do they want an honest answer? And so I will often share, you know, honestly, I just, this is kind of the way I am. So I will often share, you know, this this is either a difficult time or whatever, and people love and they listen and they show compassion and mercy, but they will often call me to higher living. And likewise, as your priest, I listen, I hope, I love, and I provide a safe place for that, but I call you to higher living. And we do that for one another. Many of us have walked through painful experiences. We had to face them head on. We had to cry and grieve and find safe places to express our anger and pain. We've pressed into Jesus. We've prayed and chanted the lamenting psalms. And by facing what life brings, as painful as it has been, may we not live in the past, but may we move forward. I know I've used this illustration before, but it's like a rear view mirror. And as uh, th- there's a purpose for the rearview mirror in a car. And if we stare at the rearview mirror and we try to drive, what's going to happen? There's going to be a mess. I mean, we're going to crash. And, but, but there's a purpose for it. Now, as a driver, we have to look ahead and we have to look to see what's in front of us. 
But we've been gifted with the rearview mirror and the side mirror so that we can see what is behind us, what's going on, who's coming up, who's approaching, who's beside us. But we don't spend all of our time looking in the rearview mirror or in the side mirrors. Or we're going to have a terrible crash. But we look ahead. So there's a purpose and there's a time to look in the past and look what's beside. But we focus on what is ahead. Jesus is before us and He's inviting us to come. And He's beside us and He's helping us to run. Beckoning us onward to Jesus reminds us once again that though we are to press on to make the goal our own, we could do so only because of what Christ did for us. Again, Paul says in verse 12, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. This is a reminder once more that our victory depends on what Christ has done for us and is achieved only in Him. So during Lent, through this passage in Philippians, we look again at what shapes our identity and gives us security. All the things that we have considered gain, success, achievements, all the religious activity in which we have prided ourselves, all that we have achieved, we count as loss, rubbish, garbage, dumb. Why? As verse 8 says, for the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This knowing calls us to identify so closely with Jesus Christ that we find our security for our past, present, and future in Him. Rather than our own achievements, nor even the acceptance and the approval of other people. Please remember this. If we live for the approval of other people, we will die by their rejection. It's important that I I want to read this again. It's important that we hear this. If we live for the approval of others, we will die by their rejection. The sooner that we will realize that we are fully and completely accepted in Him and we live out of that acceptance and love, the fuller and more complete and mature and grown up, we will live. I think we all want to be liked by others and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we don't allow their rejection or their acceptance to destroy our lives or to cause us to walk and to live in a perpetual state of rejection. I um, encourage all of us to remember I am not promoting by this that we act like jerks. Just because we know we're accepted in Jesus Christ and I don't care what other people think, that often means they're acting like a jerk. That we find our acceptance and our approval in Jesus Christ and we don't act like a jerk because we live our lives in, with humility and love and compassion and mercy. That's the way we're, we're called to act. Because we're firmly accepted and approved in God. This knowing calls us to identify so closely with Jesus that we seek out where God continues to be at work to bring light into dark places and life into death. We are so privileged to participate as partners and ambassadors in what God is doing here and now. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us through this passage and asking us to give up control of our life and hand it over to God. 
and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not our successes and achievements, nor our good works. Why? So that we can gain and know the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So how do we do this? Like Christ did, trusting in the faithfulness of God. By finding our story to be part of God's larger and bigger and better story. In other words, to find our lives shaped by His Word. By trusting through difficult times. By trusting by stepping out into places where we have never been because Christ is wooing us forward. To take risks. To press on. To run the race. If we stay in places that we know well for safety because we fear failure or rejection, there is no need to trust in Him. So basically, if we do not trust Him, we do not need Him. I loved what John Wimber used to say, and he said, how do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. Risk. It's risk-taking. It is so easy to jump ship and quit the race during difficult times that call for faith, trust, perseverance, obedience, and faithfulness. But to quit and jump is characteristic of the broad road, and many people find it. But to trust in faith is qualities of the narrow road, and only few find it. So what is keeping us from winning and gaining and knowing Him? What is it that keeps us from spending time with and knowing Him and being faithful and obedient to Him. What is God saying to us? Anywhere our life is not aligning with His story, God is inviting us to confess and repent, to turn away from and turn to Him, realigning ourselves with His ways and His desires. In these moments of silence, listen and respond to the real presence of Jesus speaking to us. Amen.